and the word of God from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is the word of the Lord today for you as church and may it expand our vision of who we are as the one church of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I've told you a little bit about my upbringing in Dallas. It was a decidedly middle-class upbringing, and that's not, uh, don't hear me as being negative. It was awesome. I had a great childhood, but what that means is we didn't want for anything, but there weren't a lot of extras, so the Swanson family never really traveled. Um, We would drive in our car to see family, but we never left the country, never really went anywhere, didn't sightsee. My mom's answer to that was read novels. That will expand your kind of view of the world, and it did. I kind of started to get a picture for what the larger world is like, but nothing could compare me, uh, compare to seeing the world for the first time, to seeing the Pacific Ocean the first time, seeing uh, abject poverty uh, in Appalachia um, for the first time, flying over the ocean and, and seeing a large city like London Um, for the first time. It was inspiring, but at the same time, it made me feel very small and very powerless. I remember feeling like such a speck in this ocean, and there were so many, I thought, it just made me feel like, Lord, what, what could I possibly do to make any sort of a difference with everything that is going on? But that all changed the first time I went to the Dominican Republic to a little ministry that we've supported called Mission Emmanuel, where I met a little girl named Camilla. And Camilla, there's me and Camilla. Lee and I have been sending Camilla $40 a month for years. And we got to meet and I went to Target and I, I took her some clothes uh, and she was so thrilled. I got to go to see her play school, uh, play school, uh, go to school. And then we got to play baseball and we played We played with our hands and a wadded up paper cup. That's how we played baseball. But, okay, we can take the video down now. (laughs) But what was so cool is I I realized, you know what? Lee and I actually made a pretty sizable difference in that little girl's life. But, But then it started to get bigger because I'm walking around Mission Emmanuel and I see the water treatment plant that this church paid for to build which has reduced waterborne illness in those two little villages of Cielo and Nazareth by 80%. And you see people lugging around eight-gallon plastic jugs on their shoulders. That's because of all of you. There's a medical tent, not medical tent, a medical building, medical facility, eye care, dental care, and medical care all in one place. There's nothing else like it in that area. People walk up to 10 miles to get to this medical treatment facility that that you all built and just show that construction photo. It's not fancy. You know, there we are just slinging concrete, but that's how these places get built. And then we built a recreation center. It's an indoor gymnasium that has offices and classroom space. It's the locus for everything that happens in terms of social activities and recreation. And that little boy is super impressed 
with uh, my useless skill of spinning a basketball on my finger. But the cool thing about it was it wasn't just our church, but we're down there three or four times a year. And when we're not there, there are all these other churches that are going down there and they're doing the same thing. So we're just a small piece of this much larger puzzle. We're one church among many churches that is making a huge difference. We didn't change the whole world, but we changed the world for two little villages outside of Santa Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And I think so many times we live lives that become walled off and isolated from what's happening in the rest of the world. And quite frankly, it's just because we don't have the emotional bandwidth. There's so many things going on in our own life and we, we just turn off for the news. That's what, through the pandemic, how many of us didn't hear mental health counselors go, hey, just don't watch TV, right? So we just don't wanna know because emotionally we can't deal with it all. But I can tell you in the last few days, it's just wrecked me to see what's going on in Ukraine. I had a phone call for 90 minutes yesterday with four Ukrainian pastors and 35 other pastors from all over the country, all over the world. I, it would take me forever to tell you all the countries represented. And all of a sudden you pull back and you go, wait, there's this wider thing that's happening, not just at First Press, but in the larger global church, the one church of Jesus Christ. And so, what do we know of what's happening in the world? What do we know of what's happening in the global church? If I asked you today, where is the global church thriving? Could you answer that question? Where is it just booming? And then where is the global church suffering? Well, we know it's suffering in Ukraine. But beyond that, do we, do we even know? So this is the last week in this series on recapturing the meaning of a post-pandemic church. The church exists now in this new reality. Does she matter enough for us to commit our lives to? And so every week I've been trying to talk to you about why the church matters, that the church is, church is the locus of truth in a world of falsehood. How do we know it's true? We know it in the church because we teach the word of God from the scriptures. We know the church matters because it's where we come to worship to reorient ourselves away from the things of the world. And we have not just a seat on earth, but we have a seat in heaven. Remember that. Then we talked about how the church is a community of faith because we all share a common story. Remember how we are all dead in our transgressions. There's nobody in here better or worse. We all need Jesus. Nobody in here is special. In the life of the church, you can't put on airs. But in the life of the church, we encourage each other and we sharpen each other. And when we're with each other, it makes us wanna follow Jesus more deeply. And we talked about how when the chips are down and life falls apart, that it's in the church where you're gonna find people who get down on their hands and knees and they're gonna help you clean up the messes of your life. But today, I want us to pull back a little bit because last week's message on generosity is very much connected to today. Because what Paul said was, I'm taking up this offering for the wider church. And we do that because we believe we're all on the same team. That it's not just first press, but it's this wider global church that actually can make a difference. And so my prayer this morning as we work through this is that instead of having this defeated, pessimistic view of all the problems in the world, we just throw up our hands and say, well, I really can't do anything about that. Oh, it's just so terrible that we would recognize that the one church of Jesus Christ actually has the power by the Holy Spirit to change and shape cultures and communities and the globe, that we have that within us by the power of God. And we see it happening 
each and every day. And I saw it happen yesterday, which I'll tell you about at the end, but it comes all to us from Revelation 7, 9, where John is giving us through the Lord's uh, spiritual presence. He takes John up, he's on the island of Patmos. He goes up into the spiritual realm. We don't really understand it, but he shows him a glimpse of heaven, right? And he shows him who's there, which I just find cool. I mean, haven't you always wondered when I, who am I gonna see when I get there? Well, he gives us a glimpse of it. And he says, it's 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now don't misinterpret that. Israel in Revelation is symbolic for the people of God. 12 is the number for fullness. And so what John sees is all of God's people. Everybody who by faith has trusted in God, they're all there. And then in verse nine, we get a specific descriptor that says they're from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne, and in front of the lamb. So they're from people who are all over and yet they're one. Nobody, they're they're all different skin colors and yet they're one. All different languages and yet they're one. All different geographic locations and yet they're one. It's this beautiful picture of how the church was intended by God to be localized and yet unified. And whole is the vision of the Old Testament. God divided his people, Israel, into 12 tribes. So it was one church. It was one body, the people of Israel, but they lived in 12 different territories. They had different people who led them, different governments, different ways of doing life. They worshiped in different places. But then God said, but you're still all part of this one body, my people, Israel, and it was not acceptable to not participate in the common singular vision. In Judges chapter five, Deborah, who as a female was the head of the people of Israel, by the way, just throw that in there. She's the head of the people of Israel and there's a big battle that she leads and they win. But there were two tribes that didn't participate. And in Judges five sixteen, she chides them. And she says, why were you not here? It's not okay to not participate in the larger vision and purpose for which the people of God, the one true church exists. And that picture goes on in Psalm 122.4. It says, Jerusalem is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. Right, so he paints this picture that we're all separate But on occasion, we all come to Jerusalem and we all worship together. Why? Because we're all one people. We all belong together. And friends, frankly, that's why First Presbyterian Church is part of a denomination. We're part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and we are because of our ecclesiology. That's our theology of the church. What we believe to be true about the church. We're not just one individual local church, but we're part of the larger church of Jesus Christ. And we express that by linking with 670 other congregations here and around the globe in the Caribbean, but it's growing so that we can have larger influence and impact for mission and ministry. It's why next October, the World Council of Reformed Churches. So it's a global Presbyterian body. They meet once every four years. 
The last time they met in Jakarta, Indonesia, guess where they're meeting this October? First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. They're gonna be here. Why? Because we're not just little local First Presbyterian Church. We are, and God's using us, but it's not just that. It's not just limited to that. We're local and we're, yet we're part of this larger thing that we're gonna see on full display this next October. And it's also the model of the New Testament church. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is formed, and how does Paul pray? In Colossians 1.10, he says, we pray this, that you, these other churches, may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So the churches were joined together. They were praying for each other. They were encouraging each other to bear fruit. There was no sense of competition. There was no sense of, oh, well, I'd better talk about everything God's doing here if you're gonna talk about what God's doing there. No, it was, we're all on the same team. We wanna pray and grow together separate. I mean, Peter, James, and John were in Judea and Jerusalem. Paul is taking it to the Gentiles, to the Greek world. He's planting churches all over the place, but there was never any sense they were not all on the same team. They were not all pulling together. And people, that also matters in challenging times. It's why Paul took up the offering when the church in Jerusalem was suffering. They didn't have any money. They couldn't execute ministry. It's why We need denominational help and structure. Why we connect to a larger body? Because when local churches go through challenges and difficulties and when pastors do dumb things, there's structure that comes into a church to help and heal and grow that church. Even when things become challenging. John 17, 11, Jesus prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. They is you and me. And he says, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that we may be one. They may be one as we are one. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus is praying for the unity of the church. And he says, even as we, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one person, the church is many yet one the church should reflect in the world the unity of the Godhead. And it's always been that picture of unity. Always, always Jesus prayed for the unity of the church, the one true church. But the problem with that is that we have this enemy. We have this enemy and we have to acknowledge that if we believe in the one true living God, we also have to acknowledge that there is a spirit, there is a force in the world that is opposed to the things of God. And so whenever the church comes to unity and wholeness and health, as we have seen in the past year in this church, you can rest assured it will draw the ire of the enemy and will kick up his interest. And we learned about this for those of you who are on the marriage retreat, I'm gonna steal some of what Jim Singleton told us. You know, the most common word in the New Testament for this enemy is the word devil. In Greek, it's the word diabolos which is two words, dia, which means through, and bolos, which means to throw. So the word devil in Greek literally means to throw something through something. So you're trying to separate it. You're splitting it. And Jim Singleton said, that's how the enemy works. The enemy is the splitter. 
the splitter. He's trying to split you from your relationship with God. He's trying to split you from your spouse. If he can split you from your spouse, and Robert Wogelmuth will talk about this at 1015 in terms of marriage, then he's ruined the building block of culture, which is the family unit. But he's also trying to split you, not just from your relationship with God, he's trying to split you from each other, from the church. If you're someone who thinks, oh, I don't need the church to be a Christian, good luck, you're being split. The enemy's laughing at you because we can't do it by ourselves. And Jim Singleton said the splitter has done some of his best work in the last two years. You know, John Wesley, when he used to see division and ugliness in the church, he'd go, I smell hell. And I've smelled it a few times. As we inside the church have forgotten the common story that binds us all, that we were dead in our transgressions and desperately in need of Jesus. And that unity and oneness supersedes any earthly construct that could threaten to divide us. And so we have to see it, people. It's why the fifth question when you join the church is, will you, in everything you do, uphold the peace and the unity and the purity of the church because it's our unity in Christ that matters. And the enemy wants to come in and split us from the church and from each other. And we must stand against that. So John Stott asks the question, will Christians be able to influence their country so that the values and standards of the kingdom of God permeate the whole national culture? And I would expand it. And I would say so that the church can actually impact the world. That really is the question. I mean, can we, as a local church connected to a denomination, do we have the power to shape communities, to shape cities, to shape countries, to impact and help shape the globe? I would tell you that the answer is yes, if we can do three things. One, we have to maintain our biblical distinctiveness. You know, Romans 12, two says to not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 8, he says, do not be like them. Jesus is saying we need to remain biblically distinct and different from the rest of the world. Why? Because if we're just like the world, we're not attractive anymore. Because people who are walking in the secular world, they're trying to find answers. They're trying to find answers. They're walking in darkness. And when the world is unsatisfying, they're gonna go looking. And when they get to the church, people, if the church looks just like the culture, why are they gonna come in our doors? We have to remain distinct. We have to remain different. We have to create questions of intrigue by serving without expectation or condition. We look where the needs are and we love 100% in Jesus, regardless of what those people believe or where they live or anything else about them. We serve without expectation or condition because it will then cause them to say, what is different about them? Why are they treating me like this when everybody else treats me this way? We maintain our biblical distinctiveness. Second, we have to permeate the culture. We cannot develop this isolationist attitude that says the big bad world might hurt my family or, or cause a negative impact. And so we withdraw and we build our little communes. People, God says we're salt and light. 
How can salt flavor and preserve the food unless it's in it? And so coach your little league teams and serve in business clubs and organizations and go down to your elementary school and figure out what needs to be done. Permeate your culture. Influence, flavor it. Don't withdraw from it. We take our light and we hide it in our dens and our basements, believing that our light won't dispel the darkness. Nonsense. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And those who follow me will never walk in darkness. Take your light and go dispel some darkness. Permeate the culture. And then the last thing is pretty simple. Pray. Pray. You know, every Sunday now, when, you leave, when we leave, you see up on the screen three things about missional living. Pray, practice, and people. You know, praying is the easiest thing we can do. And yet, for whatever reason, we struggle to do it over and over again. What you find in Paul's letters is he's telling these other churches, all these local churches that are part of the one church, he says, thank you for your prayers, and I'm praying for you. Let me tell you about this phone call I had yesterday. Four Ukrainian pastors, 35 other pastors from all over the world. During the call, one pastor held his headset out the window and allowed us to hear explosions and sirens. Another pastor got up and he said, I'm sorry, I need to run down. I have 500 college students sheltering in my basement. Another pastor was driving in his car because he'd been told that it was no longer safe in his neighborhood. And his father who has dementia kept crying out and he kept apologizing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my father is so confused. Where are you going to go, pastor? I don't know. But people, their bravery And their courage is like nothing I'd ever seen. And they're not going anywhere. They are not leaving. These pastors have been called to shepherd their flocks. And at one point, the moderator of the call said, what is it that gives you hope? I'm sorry. What is it that gives you hope? And this pastor said, this call, this call that all of you are praying for us. And yes, it looks scary, but we feel the Lord's presence. People, I was part yesterday of the one church of Jesus Christ, Catholic and Baptist and Presbyterian and Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox and Christians all over the world. And we lifted up four pastors whose lives and families were in absolute danger. And that's who we are. Please don't ever forget that. That it starts with you. We saw that last week, how it welled up into generosity at First Press. And so now First Press is looking at this larger picture of what will those funds be used for in our church, in our community, and in our world. That's the church that God is calling us to be. Not just local, not just about us, but about our community 
and about our world because by the Holy Spirit, you and I and the church, we can change the world. It happened yesterday and it will continue to happen to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that for whatever reason in your providence that today I was to preach on the global church, even as Ukraine is besieged by evil and by suffering. And there are many who grieve there today and there are pastors who are standing firm and bearing witness in the light and we know nothing of it. And Father, I do not know of that bravery and I do not know of that courage. But Father, we are called to be your church. Thank you for what you're doing in this individual church in the same way that there were 12 tribes of Israel, there are individualized local geographic locations for your people that continued in the New Testament. It's true today. But Lord, we're not disconnected. We're together as we will be in Revelation 7, 9 before your throne of grace. So Lord, between now and then, would you find us faithful as we seek to be your one people, your one unified and holy church that defeats the darkness of the enemy and brings the light of life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.